RadioInfluence.com. You've seen Chef Ryan Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. This is Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Good Friday morning, everybody. It is uh, another beautiful day in the Duffified Live world. Uh, Super good shows the last couple of weeks. I don't know what you guys thought, but I was a really big fan of Luke Soddering from from, uh, The Wheel. He was great. Um, And then uh, Big Jim out there from Boston. How about him dropping a little bit of a bomb in the middle of, that's kind of a bad word to use, the bomb with talking about the guy from the Boston bombing and all that. But Jim was just amazing. What a great conversation. I mean, to have an insight into that world is something that I just really, really love getting involved in. Um, And then, you know, Danielle Harrington, man, uh, I, I don't even know what to say. She was just a, a wonderful guest and such a nice person to have on and, and such a cool kind of world to dig into. So, so this week I wanted to get a little bit serious with some stuff. Um, you know, we got a lot of stuff going on right now in Pennsylvania and what's going on with the whole world of medical marijuana. Um, the Pennsylvania Department of Health is in the process of implementing um, a whole bunch of medical marijuana programs that are going to be si- that that have been signed into law um, from last year or from 2016. Um, when it's fully implemented, uh, the program is going to provide access to medical marijuana for patients with serious medical conditions. So it's not like it's going to be recreational. They're really kind of diving into the the medical aspect of things first, and look, I live in PA. I want to kind of understand what is involved in that. And they're making changes on a daily basis. So um, just kind of going directly uh, right now with some of this to give you guys an idea. So medical marijuana was was allowed in Pennsylvania in 2016 um, under Act Number 16. Uh, it's the Pennsylvania Medi- Medical Marijuana Act, or also known as the Act. Um, it is limited to the following forms of marijuana, pill, oil, topical, um, a form medically dedicated, medically appropriate for administration through vaporization or nebulization, including dry leaf or plant. So that's a new change to this that wasn't originally there. Um, tincture or liquid. Um, the, uh, the medical marijuana in Pennsylvania, uh, studies have shown that the medical marijuana can assist patients suffering, which we know we're starting to learn more about this. There are a certain amount of different uh, uh, medical conditions that are added into this. So I'm going to read them off really quick so everybody kind of understands, okay? Then we're going to get into some cool stuff. Amotropic lateral sclerosis, autism, cancer, Crohn's disease, damage to the nervous tissue of the spinal cord. Epilepsy, glaucoma, HIV, Huntington's disease, inflammatory bowel disease, intractable seizures, multiple sclerosis, neurop- neuro- uh, neuropathies, neuropathies or neuropathies. Huh, I'm going to have to dig into that one. Parkinson's disease, post-traumatic stress disorder, severe chronic or intractable pain of the neuropathic origin or severe chronic or intractable pain in which conventional therapeutic intervention and opiate therapy is contradicted or ineffective. Now, the weird part about that, let me read that again. Severe chronic or intractable pain of neuropathic origin or severe chronic or intractable pain in which conventional therapeutic intervention and opioid therapy 
is contradicted or ineffective. So the opiate world is in there. And this is, I mean, this is very straightforward. This is from the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. This is exactly where this site is coming from. This isn't like I just pulled this up somewhere. This is directly from the Pennsylvania website. So they're talking about the fact that that the, the opiate therapy it's just not working, that it's contradicted or it's becoming completely ineffective. And then the other last one, the last one is sickle cell, anemia, uh, sickle cell anemia. So there's a lot of different things that come in here. Um, you've got to be able to uh, be able to dive through or kind of figure out a lot of the laws and what happens and who's doing the, the, the where the dispensaries are and what's going on. So one of the things that I wanted to do this week is I wanted to have a conversation with somebody who knew a lot more than I did. So through some research and through kind of reaching out to some of the buddies that I've created through the show, having a conversation with Dr. Frank and all that good stuff, we came up with um, this this pretty awesome woman uh, who I, I, I was just really shocked by the story and, and, and what we kind of found out about her as we started to, to dig in a little bit deeper. So I'm going to give you guys a really quick idea of who she is. I'm going to read you her bio really fast. Okay. Sarah Gullickson is a nationally recognized cannabis expert who has been actively involved in the industry since its inception. A visionary entrepreneur with a passion for health and wellness, she established dispensarypermits.com. If you guys want to get a dispensary, you should go over there and check this dispensarypermits.com website out because there is a tremendous amount of information. And oddly enough, it is super, super easy to work through. Okay. So this site was developed or established in 2010. And what they are is a national cannabis consulting firm offering seed to sale services with hands-on support to cannabis entrepreneurs. She's based in Scottsdale, Arizona. It's one of the largest long, I'm sorry, one of the longest standing medical marijuana consulting companies in the industry. As a founder and CEO, Sarah has successfully secured multiple licenses for clients in 10 state processes, as well as operational and dispensary opening um, experience from East Coast all the way out to Hawaii. For new dispensary and cultivation licenses, Sarah has developed a franchise style method where clients can learn how to operate a fully functional and compliant cannabis facility, which you're going to hear her talk about. She talks about bringing her team in to do a lot of training, which is really pretty cool. She's personally held multiple states with their programming and has attended numerous political gatherings to raise medical marijuana awareness, both at Lobby Days in D.C. and the Phoenix Capitol and at the storefront of uh, the fastest growing industry in the nation, which is soon to be the fastest growing industry in the world. Sarah's made it a priority to help other entrepreneurs succeed through educational endeavors and networking events as well as she is a founding member of Women Grow, a national organization created to con uh, connect and empower the next generation of cannabis industry leaders and served as a Phoenix chapter chair. During her tenure, chapter expanded membership from 30 to its maximum of 80 members. Sarah is also a renowned conference speaker. She speaks all over the world. Uh, 2017, she spoke at the Women Grow Leadership Summit in Denver. She also spoke at a multi multiple national industry events, including 2017 Arizona Assessors Conference. The 15 uh, MJ, uh, MJ, I don't know what MJ is, but get into that. Business Daily event in Chicago and the 2015, why do I not know what MJ is? I got to figure that out. 2015 Cannabis World Conference and Business Expo in LA. Named an Arizona trendsetter, 
All right. Sarah's also been featured in numerous national media outlets, including CNN, NBC, Fox News, National Public Television, Yahoo Finance, Entrepreneur, National Geographic, Dr. Oz, Forbes, Business News Daily, Phoenix Business Journal, Marijuana Business Daily, Direct Cannabis Networks, Phoenix New Times, The Ganjapreneur, and The Chicago Sun-Times. Um, an industry motivator and leader throughout, Sarah continues to expand her business with the ever-evolving industry beyond her work in cannabis. Sarah is an avid yogi completed 200 hours of yoga teacher training in her spare time. She advocates for new legalization measures and an alternative to wellness solutions. Okay. Pretty awesome to think about the fact that we're going to have her on the show. Um, I hope that you guys are going to dig into this episode, get a little bit of information out about it, even if, and this is the business side. We didn't talk about the smoking side. We didn't take about, talk too much about the partaking side. We really just talked about the business angle of what is going on and being in Pennsylvania and trying to get an idea of what's going on, what's happening, what's going to be moving forward. This was the person to talk to. So ladies and gentlemen, do me a favor, turn your uh, radios up, get your headphones in your hair, ears, get the kids out of here. Not that there's a lot of cursing in this episode, but it is a good episode that talks a lot about cannabis and the kind of the world that we live in without it. Oddly enough, Sarah doesn't drink anymore. She quit drinking uh, because, you know, she just got tired of feeling like shit, kind of the same way that I did. Don't get me wrong. Still going to go out every now and then, hang out with the boys and have a beer, but I'm just not into the world of getting shit-faced anymore. So do me a favor, pull everything together, have a conversation or sit back and relax. You guys can check out this pretty awesome conversation with a very, very, very aggressive woman in the business world, in the personal world. I really think she's super cool and I'm stoked that she's on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Duffified Live, Sarah Gullickson. Say hello to Sarah Gullickson. They all said hi to you. Now you have to say hi back to us. <laughs> Hello, how's everyone doing? Uh, Sarah, why don't you do me a favor real quick? Tell us uh, who you are and how we can get in contact with you. All right. Um, I am a marijuana consultant um, and I basically specialize on applications and operations all over the world. And you can either go to my personal website at sarahgullickson.com Otherwise, you can check out dispensarypermits.com, and that has a ton of information regarding uh, legalization efforts and what kind of marijuana businesses are going on and where. Um, and all of our contact information as far as social media and email addresses and phone numbers are, are listed on both sites. Nice. And I have, been, uh, I have been diving through your websites for the last couple of days. Um, and I'm pretty impressed. I had, I had no idea how deep this goes. Um, and you guys make it super easy. I mean, literally on, um, right now I'm on uh, dispensarypermits.com and on the first page on the right hand side, it says, help us to find your next step by selecting. I need a license or I have a license. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was a, a major redesign and redevelopment that took probably about four or five months, but um, you know, there's so much information floating around there that we wanted to be kind of the first all-inclusive resource for business to business when it's talking about, you know, licenses and then obviously operating a marijuana facility as well. So thank you. I appreciate that. No, a lot this, of hard work. <laughs> yeah, no, this site is awesome. I mean, it literally, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, it just goes right into it. There's not even a question. You've got a bunch of stuff right here where to start. There's a picture of Trump right down there. Uh, we've got Strive, we've got April 24th, Marijuana Weekly Update, states to watch for marijuana legalization. Now, now I, so, okay, well, let's, let's do this. One, how in the hell did you get into this world? 
<laughs> I mean, for, so, so well, you're, because you're from Minnesota. I am. I am. Um, I, that's kind of a loaded question. The really, really easy answer is, you know, I was young and had no idea what I was signing up for, but kind of the longer version, um, you know, I definitely come from the Midwest. So it was very conservative. Um, fun fact, my dad just found out what I did about uh, four or five years ago now. So I didn't tell him when I was in my early discovery of what the industry actually looked like. Um, realistically, I had a, a spa salon and health facility website. So I was doing a lot of marketing and SEO um, for companies that wanted to obviously increase their online exposure in the health vertical. Right. And a company came to me and said, Hey, what do you think about marijuana? <laughs> um, and so it was my own little agency and I ran that, um, for the first couple of years while I was in the industry. But realistically, after I had branded the company and, you know, just learned a lot more about it a couple of years later, I was still working on it. I still loved it. Um, it changes so much. And just with my personality, it was always, you know, interesting and new, um, you know, when you wake up a couple of years after you're into it and you realize that you know more about the industry than 99.9% of the population. Seriously. So kind of have to figure out what to do with that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, cause there's, I mean, we are, you know, I keep kind of, I kind of keep putting in this in the same world as prohibition. Only, yeah. only we are at the forefront of prohibition. Like uh, we're, we're at the forefront of when prohibition was, had ended. Like we're watching states start to legalize stuff. We're watching things start to happen. And it's almost like, you know, uh, imagine being back in the 1930s when prohibition was repealed and, and it just went, it was like the wild west, you know, but now it seems oh, like we're taking, yeah. everything's kind of taking, it's taking its time, which is good to see, you know, it's very good to see, but I mean, did you, did you, what did you go to school for to all of a sudden become like the cannabis dispensary lady? <laughs> um, so I went to ASU and so okay. I pretty much partied at ASU, um, had a really, really good time, uh, went for business and communications. And then after that, um, I realized that, you know, with the, with the entry level position, you were only going to make about, you know, 32,000 a year, 40,000. And I wasn't really satisfied with that. So I went back to school and got um, my MBA with an emphasis in marketing. Okay. Um, but my dad was an entrepreneur. I grew up with, you know, non-traditional type household. Nobody worked in a corporate environment. And so <laughs> I really had the mentality that, you know, I can't live on that budget. So how do I make my life work and, and create, you know, kind of my own reality in the right. space. And so that's really what I've been doing for the last eight years is, you know, being flexible and fluid enough to kind of, you know, roll with the changes and, um, you know, just create a life that I, I love and that I'm helping people. So now I, you, you mentioned something that, that actually kind of took me off topic for a second, which was growing up in a household where nobody really worked in a corporate setting or any of that. And for me, that's kind of where, I, like, that's how my girls are. You know, because the last time that I kind of, I, I worked in a real corporate setting was probably nine, 10 years ago. And my girls are not used to seeing that. You know, my girls, like I said to my daughter the other day, Hey, Em, can you come downstairs? I'm going to go through my travel with you. And she looked at me. She's like, I'm good, dad. I'm good. I get it. You travel. I understand you're going to be gone for a couple of weeks. I get it. We're okay. You don't have to keep telling me where you're going. And because I'm always like constantly checking with them to make sure that we're cool because they know that it's a non-traditional lifestyle. You know, I mean, it's, yes. it's really, you know, they always say that, well, you know, 
an entrepreneur will work 80 hours so that they don't have to work 40 hours for somebody else. <laughs> totally. You know? But on the flip side of it, like my dad was able to take the summers off and, right. you know, take us on the boat and, you know, right. it, it's, it's, it's a balance. Everything's about a balance. Some of the weeks are crazy, um, which I experience quite often. Um, yeah. but then sometimes, you know, you get to take that trip or that time off with your family and, you know, you just got to kind of figure out how to carve time for everything. Yeah, we do. We, we, and my girls know that as soon as school's over, we're gone. Like once they're done school, we are in the car. We are on our way to the Outer Banks. We are gone for 10 to 12 days. And then we come home and we just do super cool trips all through the summer because I try not to work a lot through the summer. So I know that world. Plus there's also that shady world of, oh shit, where am I going to get paid this month? Because I'm an entrepreneur (laughs) and I took off for July and August. Damn it. Now I got to work in September again. (laughs) Well, it's funny because my dad was a developer and when obviously the market would crash, he was in real estate, he'd build new homes. When the market would crash, he would go work at a jewelry store and it was literally to keep his brain busy and so that he wasn't like at home driving everybody crazy. And I definitely relate to that because if we aren't busy for a month, I'm like creating all these projects and now I just kind of call them like my passion projects to keep that like entrepreneur spirit going (laughs) and keep me kind of out of my staff hair. Yeah. Um, Otherwise I'll drive them up the wall. (laughs) That's my assistant. Like we, so we work off of Trello. And I do, I, I'll, when I fly, I throw all of my ideas into Trello. If I'm out boozing with the boys, I've got ideas going into Trello. If I'm sitting around in a meeting, I have ideas that go into Trello. And my assistant the other day was like, Bri, because I've been home for two and a half weeks. She's like, you need to go. You need to get on the road. She's like, because you're, you're, you're creating websites for things that haven't even existed yet. Like, like what are you doing buying this website right now? Like, it's pretty funny to watch. So I, I totally get that world. But um, so, so from spa into cannabis, I mean, you're, you're, I mean, it's almost like a visionary at that point because there's, there are no real online resources to do that stuff. I mean, I have, I couldn't even tell you the first thing about, like, if, if I want to open a dispensary, what is the first thing that I need to do other than call you? Um, literally figure out if you can open a dispensary. So I think that that's one of the biggest myths in the industry. Okay. It's like, oh, I, I really want to open a dispensary, but that would be all great and wonderful. But the way that the processes work in order to be awarded a license to do it in a legal fashion you have to look for submission windows so that you can apply to open a dispensary. Okay. So that's why we reconfigured the site in the way that we did, because if you live in Florida, if you live in Pennsylvania, if you live in Colorado, there's different time frames in which you can apply. Right. Um, and so that's really like kind of the first thing you need to understand. And then also, you know, obviously read up on, what the program looks like. There's another myth about the industry that all of the different facilities are the same and they're not. Some states you could have cultivation, processing and dispensing in one facility. In some states you simply get a license for dispensing only, processing only or cultivation only. So we've grown a ton in the last eight years and it's like so exciting to kind of see that you know, we're at the breaking point of more than half of the states in the United States are actually doing some sort of a program. Um, but, but the rules and regulations for the medical programs and for some of the recreational programs from, you know, eight years ago or six years ago, you know, we, we didn't know better. 
we were right. starting this, it was new. And so every single program that we, you know, get to kind of open in a new state gets that much better because we can look at other states and say, Hey, how have they done this? And how can we reconfigure all of these different programs to make it work within our jurisdiction? And so that's been like one of the most fascinating parts of the industry is to really look at the rules and regulations and the legislation, figure out how it can work in each different state since they're wildly different. And how, I mean, so let's just start with, let's start with Colorado. Okay. Let's start with the, the basic facts. So they, 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 they open up, they go recreational. What are we learning? What are we learning at this point from Colorado as we progress into other states? Yeah. So you can, I mean, you, you can learn a lot from Colorado just because it's one of the older markets, right? Is it one of the more mature markets? No. Um, and the reason that I say that is because Colorado took a, a different approach. They didn't do limited licensing. So it meant that there were more cannabis shops than there were Starbucks in Denver. And so what happens is you have a lot of activist type personality types that love the plant, which is amazing. I always say that one of my like skill sets in life is, is merging and, you know, combining forces with activists and entrepreneurs. Um, but a lot of times, and obviously being 34 and owning a business, like you don't just know how to do business unless you have that training. So in Colorado, we're seeing, you know, it's highly competitive. So companies are spending twenty to forty thousand dollars a month just in advertising and marketing, um, and then you're also seeing more businesses fail in Colorado because of that competitive landscape. Sure. Um, and so while it's a wide open market and it's an amazing place to go if you just kind of want to look at what you know the dispensary looks like or feels like, um, because you can just walk in. It's recreational, right? Um, And there are obviously the businesses that have kind of like laid the groundwork for what we've done in other states. Um, But Colorado is difficult because of that competitive nature and because they didn't do what we call a limited license process. So in a lot of the other states, we look at like the supply and demand instead of just saying, hey, everybody open up shop. Um, and so that's, you know, just kind of some like basic things that you can learn. But I mean, the talent in Colorado and the um, passion for the plan in Colorado is, you know, really it's, unmatched. Um, it's I would amazing. Say California and Colorado are similar there. Yeah. I, I think Colorado's got a big, I mean, Northern California, I really notice a lot more when it comes into the plan involvement, whereas Colorado is, it seems like everywhere I go, it's the plan. I mean, they're really oh, into yeah. the plan. I mean, it's 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 just unbelievable. Whereas, whereas when I was up in Washington, it seemed like it was a little bit more. Um, I, I, it was I don't know how I can put it. They were they were so much more on the medical benefits of stuff. I mean, the first dispensary that I went into in Washington, I was in Spokane, and I walk in and I meet this guy who happened to be from Jersey. And like we sat down for a, it was the weirdest thing because we kind of sat down for a second. He's like, so what do you like? And I'm like, uh, I don't know, uh, for my brain to feel fuzzy. Like I, like I didn't even know the direction to go with that. And he said, well, what do you do? And we had, then he, he would like really kind of dug into it. He's like, well, I think you should really go for this or go for this or try this edible. It was more of a, a more of a, a, more of a, a, a meeting. Then I walk into yeah. Colorado and they're just, you know, it was like, they're just standing there waiting to sell you a soda. You know, I mean, it was like going to a gas station in Colorado, but they were really, really into the plant. I don't know. It's just kind of a weird, a weird thing with all of that. What, um, uh, what do you, what do you, what do you know about Pennsylvania at this point? 
Uh, Pennsylvania has been very good to us. <laughs> we were we were a huge part of not only like the rule making and the legislation as far as, you know, helping the government during the public commentary to, you know, really craft what a healthy program looks like, not only for patients, but for the businesses, right? Um, I'd love to say that we can only think about patients when we do this, but we can't. We have to think about the business side. We have to have mature businesses that can make money to put more money into the industry for research and all of the things that we're lacking since we're so new. Um, but we were really able to help and a lot of our recommendations were, were implemented in the actual program. Um, last year, not this last March, but the March before that is when we submitted um, applications or requests for applications um, to the Department of Health in Pennsylvania um, for a handful of clients. And it was in June, I was actually sitting having pizza in Peru after Machu Picchu. <laughs> and we really, I received like all these like crazy email alerts that um, we were successful with our clients. And so what that meant is out of the 27 licenses that they gave away, um, two of our clients were able to um, get those licenses. And then we've been wow. working really heavily in Pennsylvania to help. Saliva Wellness is the company that we ended up helping open their operation. So it's been really, really awesome. Um, the Medical Commission has come back in the last couple of weeks here and said, we know that you had a limited program. We know that you only wanted like bait tinctures and, and oils, but they just actually allowed for the addition of dry plant matter or flowers. Really? So, yeah, yeah, is it but they're quick. So is it still, like, and, and I'm sorry, I interrupt you. Go ahead. So you're saying they're quick with, the, with their turnaround. So go, keep going on that. Well, they're just like, basically we had six months to open our facility, which is also a super quick timetable. Right. And then now that the facilities are open, there's so many patients because obviously, you know, Pennsylvania is like a Mecca for all the like medical professionals and great education and things like that. And so the physicians have embraced the medical program in a way that I've never seen any other state. Wow. And so you have all this government support, you have all this physician support, and you have all these really savvy business owners that are all kind of coming together and working together to create the best type of a program for patients. Um, and so we're actually submitting for more licenses for clients um, on May 17th. So this oh, is wow. the first process I've ever worked in where they took second round of applications within, you know, a year and a half. So wow. it's yeah, really, really exciting. Right up top. I mean, it's literally right on the top of your website for here. It says to spend deadline alert, Pennsylvania will begin accepting, accepting applications on April 5th, 2018, and then click here for that. So as, as I click into here, um, I'm, I'm kind of reading through it, but so is it still, I, one of the laws that was going through, through Pennsylvania was there were 14 ailments, if I'm not mistaken. That you that you had that you had to have. I mean, obviously, cancer and and, and stuff like that. Are they loosening yeah. up on that a little bit? Um, what they're doing is they're adding. So research is another thing that's lacking in the industry. And so when they can look at other states and say, hey, you know, these states are benefiting from X Y Z qualified medical condition. The Marijuana Commission in Pennsylvania has the authority to meet and vote on adding conditions, which is also excellent. So in Illinois, we actually just saw um, them add the condition of, of uh, opiate addiction. 
And so that's like, that's, I think it's one of the first states that's done it. But wow. since Pennsylvania is so evolved in their thinking, I guarantee since some of the other states are doing it, there's obviously enough, enough research to support that it's obviously a good move for them to include that. Um, and that's something that we've been working really diligently on. And when you talked about <laughs> going to Washington and sitting down with somebody and him asking you like pretty much what your lifestyle is like. Yeah. Um, that's one of my big passion projects right now is to be able to create tools for the dispensary workers and staff to sit down with people, not only in a medical program, but in a recreational program and say, this is not one size fits all. Right. What is the protocol? Like, what are you trying to achieve? What's your qualifying medical condition? What symptoms are attached to it? And then on top of that, what's your lifestyle? Do you have children yeah. at home? Are you a busy entrepreneur? Are you, you know, couch ridden? And so that's something that's super interesting. And it's something that we'll be putting in front of Pennsylvania for the first time, this round of applications to showcase, hey, you guys are obviously doing your job. You're adding qualified medical conditions. We're going to continue to add protocols for these different medical conditions too. Um, and so it's actually really, really exciting. I'm a total nerd when it comes to that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll run with it. We'll run with it. So, um, so you're, you're you're based in Arizona. What, what's what's the law in Arizona right now? So Arizona has a medical program. Uh, they've had a medical program that. Uh, for like the last eight years is when they kind of started it. Um, they've taken, there's like 131 dispensaries open and operating. Um, the dispensaries get their own rights to cultivate and process. So the licenses in Arizona are um, really, really valuable because it's a vertically integrated type of a business model. Um, we have some <laughs> pushback from our legislators and governing bodies, um, which is really frustrating because here in Arizona, we don't even have testing. So testing is not a requirement. So there was a big story that came out like three, four months ago of this guy that his cultivation facility literally had mold everywhere. Disgusting. God. And he's growing flour so that patients can, can use sure. it for their medical conditions. So we've all been like really working hard to kind of push that envelope to say, we know that eight years ago when the legislation was drafted, we didn't understand testing like we do today. We also understand that Ducey doesn't really necessarily support the industry, which is fine, right? Yeah. Everybody's entitled to their own thing. Sure. But you can't have a program in your state that's giving out moldy product to patients. It's I mean, that just makes sure. us all look like crazy people, right? So. It is frustrating. Um, I try not to get like too worked up about it just because it's a situation where eight years ago we didn't know better. And so we can't look at people and say, oh, shame on you. You did a bad job. But now that we do know better, <laughs> how can we right. all like come together to say, hey, this is just not appropriate. Um, this is the fastest growing industry in the United States of America. And I think it soon will be the fastest growing industry in the world. Um, so we really, really, really pride ourselves on taking the appropriate people to put medicine in patients' hands. Um, right. And so our firm like won't represent just anyone because we have to make sure that the people we are servicing as the gatekeepers of the industry for licensing have the right morals um, that aren't just money. <laughs> you know, money's so great. I get it. Yeah. Travel and stuff too, but you know, you gotta <laughs> do what's right for the patient. <laughs> sure. Hey, guess what? I did something uh, that I didn't really want to do the other day. I went looking for car insurance. 
You know what? I rather would have stubbed my toe against a brick wall while walking up a flight of stairs because going for car insurance sucks. So the last time I tried to do it, I hated it. It took me hours upon hours, but I found a new fun way to change that up. And it's an app. All you got to do is download it. It's covered.com. It's an app that is designed to make insurance less of a hassle. All you got to do is request a quote by taking a picture of your, of your car on the phone. And then you can do anything you want with it. The app searches for app from uh, policies from over 30 different providers to get you car, home, motorcycle, pretty much anything you want. It's insurance on the go. All you got to do is request a quote. A quote. It is that simple. It happens in a snap. It takes about two minutes after you complete the details. All you got to do is go right now to cover.com forward slash Duffy to get started. It's very simple. All you got to do, cover.com forward slash Duffy. That's C-O-V-E-R dot com slash D-U-F-F-Y. Go get your car insurance the easiest way. No need to dance all over the websites and all the other stuff. Go to cover.com forward slash Duffy and get it done. Is Arizona close to a testing program? So there's been different legislation that's been kind of passed around. And I know that the Arizona Dispensary Association had a big meeting with um, Ducey and some of the rule makers in the last couple of weeks here. So it's definitely something that we're working on. It's not something that we've gotten as much traction on as we'd like. Um, because, you know, when bills are passed, like any other industry, there's, you know, kind of some, some other agendas usually that oh are attached God, yeah. to them. So, you know, let's just kind of, if we could just get a good group of people together to say, hey, let's just do something for testing and sure, you know, kind of get it, get it pushed. Put a one page down. <laughs> let's put a one page down of things yeah. that we have to look mold being number one. Um, yes. Yes. Well, so so it's kind of funny because I had a conversation with 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 Dr. Frank, which is actually how you and I have have connected. And yes. I, you know, I, I always joke around. So I, I didn't start smoking or or partaking um, until about seven or eight years ago. Something that I never really did. Like I smoked once when I was fourteen. I got super sick. I never touched it again. Like scared shitless. And then uh, spent some time in L.A. Kind of got you know a little bit more familiar with it throughout the years. And I, I know, so, you know, I remember having a conversation with somebody and the conversation was really simple. So we said, like, I'm afraid that I'm going to smoke too much or I'm going to do something. He said, nobody's ever died from smoking weed. So I say this to Dr. Frank and his response to me was yet. And I'm like, oh shit, here we go. What do you mean by yet? Right. And he said, now with all the corporate involvement, you know, corporate really wants to see a higher yield. So we're getting caught into this crazy world now of, of, of chemicals and moving forward. What do you, do you have any thoughts on that? What are your, I mean, is there anything that is being done to kind of combat that so that we're not walking into Monsanto buying up massive amounts of fields and just spraying shit all over the place? What, what, what is being, is there anything being done about that? And do you know anything about that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, you know, we could use like the fear mongering tactic to, to raise awareness, which I think is amazing in some capacity, right? Um, but for the most part, that's not a possibility in the states that have tight testing requirements. Okay. So in some states, they control what type of nutrients you can use, what kind of pesticides you can put on the plants. And so that has to be written into the actual rules and regulations and legislation. And then it kind of goes back to educating your patients. So 
we just got a medical license, um, my group and I in Nevada. And so we're going to be opening a cultivation and processing facility. And that's part of our marketing strategy. <laughs> so we're not thinking about traditional marketing in the sense of like billboards and stuff like that. You know, we're going to market our product as clean product that's safe. We're going to obviously put our testing results on everything and so that the patients can have informed access to cannabis. Right. Um, and it, it's something that we obviously can control from the legislation side of things, but patients really need to understand, or even people that are purchasing in a recreational state, they need to understand what types of questions to ask. And if you go into a dispensary and the staff can't answer your questions about mold, pesticide, or extraction methodology, those are just three really simple ones. You right. need to leave the dispensary because you don't want to purchase anything, but they don't even know what they're selling to you. They don't know what they're selling. Sure. Well, right. and, and and how hard is it? I mean, what is the education process for, look, if I work at Starbucks and I'm going to be a barista, I need to know how to make every single drink that they have on the menu. What is, I, I mean, and, and this is, this is going to get a little deep, but so like when I was in Vegas, uh, a couple months ago or in March, you know, there's a 24 hour dispensary right next to oddly enough, my favorite dive bar in the entire country and it's open 24 hours. So I go in and I ended up spending about an hour, probably an hour and a half in there just talking with the guys that were in the dispensary and the knowledge that these guys had and, and women had while they were in that, that were working there. I couldn't believe it. Like I, I felt like I left a much wiser person and and I didn't yep. smoke before I left it was just a normal natural feeling of feeling wise um but <laughs> it was from education not cannabis right exactly. okay we're good yeah <laughs> my, my brain felt awesome and it wasn't because of any form of THC so so I, I mean is there a standard for the education or the training that, that these quote unquote bud tenders, I guess that's what we're calling them, are learning, like, do they go to school or is it training that's being done within the four walls? You know, usually when I'm, everybody does it different. When I'm staffing a dispensary, I like to pull talent that has worked in other markets. Um, okay. So a lot of the staff that we hired for Solivo in Pennsylvania, we pulled from like California and Colorado. Um, you can teach the basics, you know, in a couple of weeks. And that's part of like my program when I, when I help a dispensary open to train their, you know, butt tenders or we call them patient care coordinators on the plant and things like that. And there's a lot of like different universities and staffing companies that do the same, but realistically, I mean, and it's the same thing with our clients, you, you're not going to even know a 10th of what you need to know the first year you're in cannabis. Right. It's so deep. It's so broad. And so what we try and do is we try and create tools to guide, right? And so that our staff at least has this baseline. And so that's like the patient product path that I was just talking about. And the woman that did it for me or, or girl that did it for me, I, I love mentoring young women in this industry. Um, you know, she's not like an English major and she doesn't have a degree, but her knowledge of cannabis, even just working in the dispensaries for a couple of years, and I've been in the industry longer than she has, she knows so much about the plant. She yeah. gets asked those questions and understands how to troubleshoot them. So while you can't bring yourself up to speed and be in the industry for a year sometimes, especially in a new market, we really pride ourselves on helping our clients open a facility and helping them have tools 
for guidance. Um, and so that everybody's saying the same thing. I mean, right. you can't have one bud tender saying one thing. And we had a, a situation where a couple of weeks ago, a Facebook message came across and from one of our clients in a different state. And it was, she was very upset because the bud tender was encouraging this, you know, 65 year old woman to dab. Oh. <laughs> and so like, we can't, we have to like kind of know our audience in the oh sense that like, you're not telling a 65 year old medical patient to dab. Right. She's like, this is not medical. This is oh. not safe. And I'm like, yeah, shit. What do we, what do we say? <laughs> Crisis oh. control. Um, yeah, we're giving you, we're giving you, you a know, VIP just, pass to Omni in Vegas before you smoke. So you can do it in the club. <laughs> This is going to be awesome, Graham. <laughs> Dig in. No. Dab. No. <laughs> uh, but also another big part of it is really creating a facility that has community and that has culture and really picking people with like-minded ideals for the industry. Like we can't put like the dab king in a medical facility and expect that he's going to sell a ton of medical products to medical patients because he likes right. to dab. Right. So, you know, it's, 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 it's complicated. It really is, but it's definitely doable. And it's definitely something that we assist our clients with, you know, every week. Hmm. So now the dispensary opened up in Pennsylvania. Where was that? Was it in Pittsburgh or Philly? That one was in Pittsburgh. Which, in which, Hill. What are your, uh, I, I, I love Pittsburgh. I absolutely love Pittsburgh. How long were you there? I've been working on and off there for over a year and a half, two years now. Um, I love Pittsburgh. We go back as, as often as we can. Um, we were just actually there a couple of weeks ago. My whole team was there. Um, but I love that city. Uh, I had no idea what to expect. I had a client fly us in for this, you know, meeting to see if they wanted to work with us. If we wanted to work with them. And after like an hour and a half, they were like, all right, we're good. Bye. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, either I killed it or I totally, totally right. did a horrible job. But what we ended up doing is we ended up going on one of those like cheesy boat cruises. And that's when I like fell oh in love God. with the city. Cause I'm like, how cool is this yeah. city? Like there's no other city that has like all these stadiums on the water and obviously being from the Midwest and like growing up on lakes. I just, I love that city. Um, I do. Do you know the rivers? Do I, do you want me to name them? No. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. The Monongahela, the, <laughs> the Algonquin and the Allegheny. There you go. Yeah. I, I would, but I'm a, I'm a yeah, okay. <laughs> Pittsburgh is, is an amazing city. And the funniest part about Pittsburgh is they're aggressive right now. Their restaurant program and what they have going on out there is just unmatched. The growth and what they're doing with these, some of these old buildings and some of these really defunct areas is just unbelievable. I mean, they're crushing it out yeah. there. I don't know if you, if you had an opportunity to go out and eat much, but there's a great, great, great food program that's going out there. And there's a couple of little restaurant groups that are really doing an amazing job. Yeah, we do. Um, whenever we're in a new city, we do like what we call a restaurant tour. And so we'll have like a bite to eat and a drink at each place. And so we've been to quite a few of the Pittsburgh places um, and, and like that little strip where all the restaurants are. And then I was really impressed with Squirrel Hill, too. I thought that the vibe was like awesome in Squirrel Hill and had some really cool restaurants as well. It's, uh, you know, Pittsburgh is a testing ground for a lot of things throughout the country. They have the first Uberless Ubers there. I'm sorry, driverless. Uber. 
Dry, oh, I was like, yeah. my brain was confused Uber for a second. Uber. Okay, yes, I, I did know that. Air. Uber lift Uber. That sounds up, high yeah. tech. <laughs> we charge you, but nothing really happens. It's nice. It's the app that I created. Um, no, they have driverless Ubers in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I think we have a couple of those bit of those here. They're like the Volvos, right? Yes. Yeah, which yeah, is pretty yeah. wild to watch because they do. They still have a guy sitting in the front seat. They said they're not going to be fully operational until like 2025, where they can do it because obviously yeah, that's a little scary. Uh, yeah. Well, and it was funny because when we were we were driving, we hit a red light and we had the right of way to make a left hand turn. But the car ahead of us had kind of uh, the car that was facing us had started to kind of make a little drive towards us. So our car stopped and then our car started to go and then the other car started to go and we stopped again. And then finally the driver just took over and just made the turn and then let go of the wheel and it took over from that point. But they were saying that the biggest problem that they're having is just that there's a bunch of in reality, a bunch of asshole drivers that are on the road that we're never going to be able to get rid of, that the cars aren't yeah. going to be able to anticipate that sort of stuff. So, um, but uh, I, did you, I don't know if you read, there was a guy in England, I think, was it England? Who got out of the driver's seat in traffic and sat in the passenger seat so the Tesla could drive itself. You know, I think that <laughs> it's funny because I'm like freaked out by that. And one of my PR girls said, she's like, well, actually, we have a client and, um, you know, theirs is, I guess, the Google self-driving car. She goes, it's actually really similar to cannabis. And I'm like, what do you mean? Because I just don't know a lot about it. And she's like, everybody's afraid of it. There's right. a ton of rules and regulations that prohibit it. But we found some, some, some holes or some areas that we can kind of get through and navigate. Right. Um, and it seems like a really gray idea. And I'm like. That is brilliant, actually. It is very similar to like kind of what we do. <laughs> oh, we're, we're in a, I mean, it's such a weird, like it's, it's a very odd space. I mean, when you think about it and I'm talking about cannabis, I'm not talking about driving again, but I'm talking about the cannabis. It's, I mean, for years upon years, I mean, you're 34, I'm, I'm 12 years older than you. So I am, you know, I mean, I grew up in the age of gateway drug. I grew up in the age of the propaganda videos uh -huh. in, in middle yeah. school, learning that if you smoked weed, you were going to become a derelict. You were going to end up in jail. You were going to kill people. And that's, so for me, the first time that I ever smoked, I was 14 years old and it, it freaked me out. I was scared shitless and I never touched it again. I mean, it was just something that because of that negative kind of connotation there, that negative world that it was, that was, that was surrounding it. And now we're in a totally different place. I mean, my conversations with my children are, if you're going to drink, don't be stupid. Make sure you know you're in a surrounding where you're going to be. Don't ever put a pill in your, in your mouth. Don't ever put anything up your nose and don't ever use a needle for whatever you're going to do. Like those are my rules. Right. You're going to try to smoke. It's something that's going to happen. I'm not going to tell you not to smoke. I've got a, I've got a weed safe on my desk for God's sakes. You know, like I can't be the guy. I totally do. I totally do. It's so bad. That's good. That's good. You're a good well, dad. Um, but I mean, you've no, got a community. It's, yeah. Yeah. Um, when you talk about like the propaganda side of things and when we talk about like how I got into the industry, I got into the industry when I was like 26. I did not know better. Um, and I guess some of the lessons that I've learned that, that directly tie into that point is politics are super powerful yeah. and corruption and conspiracy theory is definitely real. 
And I hate to be that person, but I have seen so much in my last eight years, um, four years into my working career, I was working, running my own, running the company that I just purchased in Chicago and working in that city. I literally was like a deer in headlights. I was like, what did I sign up for? I didn't know that the world was this corrupt. Um, but you know, it's, it's about messaging too. And it's about, you know, combating kind of those forces and debunking those myths and obviously all ties back to education and, and to your point safety, you know, you could, you could get marijuana from the streets that's laced with other things and you could be in sure. trouble. Right. Absolutely. And so it's a matter of like really educating people on how to consume. And that's obviously what's tying into, you know, obviously what's happening with the, <laughs> the opiate epidemic and all of that. It's, it's all education and it's all kind of second guessing the authorities that are putting it in front of you and saying that this is good because we know from history that they put a lot of stuff in front of us. It's not good. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's a, it's still a scary world. And, and I think that for what you're doing, I mean, how I, I I mean, you, this is going to sound kind of weird, but it's almost like you guys are, you're at the forefront of what's going on, but you're still learning as you're going, even though you've been at it for eight years. I mean, how are you guys, how much research must you guys be doing to be constantly well, in people compliance? See, yeah. And, yeah. Um, people see our fees and they're like, that's absurd. You're going to yeah. take this amount of money. And I'm like, you don't get it. Like, it's not this like, even though I've done it, I've worked in 15 states and three countries, right? I know my stuff, <laughs> sure. but every time you take on a project, it has its nuances and there is such a high level of compliance and reporting and training and the actual work that goes into these projects and the blood, sweat and tears that we put into them. It's unreal. Yeah. I mean, we, we used to work overnight the whole week that applications were due up until m March last year. And that was just the reality of it. If you wanted to win, the government would call the applications due. You'd have a 30, sometimes 60 day window to put all this material together, which is just completely unrealistic. Sure. So it, it is a lot of research. I mean, we have one full-time girl that announces our like weekly status updates. And um, <laughs> this is actually really crazy. So when I first got into the industry, we worked seasonally. So whenever a project or a state would go, it was like, yay, we get to work. And now it's like we're <laughs> slammed 24 seven. And yeah. so the point is, is with these like weekly reports, there are some weeks and I'm going into the office right after this to do our weekly report that some weeks there are 20 different things that happen all over the country, which means program expansion, new applications being taken, different qualifying medical conditions happening, a dry state putting legislation together to have a medical program medical programs changing from recreate or to recreational, like it's nuts. Um, and to keep up to date on that is not a small task. I mean, it's literally one person at our firm that's responsible for that. Yeah. That's it's, her like, job. it's like trying to get divorced and doing it by yourself and realizing that all of a sudden, you know what I need an attorney now. I got to do this the right way. Amen. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know what? I, just, I missed the deadline again. I'm done. I'm just, it just, just put the yeah. money up. Yeah. That's wild. So where is, so of, of all of the states that you're working in at this point, what is, what is the most friendly, shall we say? I mean, I don't want to use the word easy because it's not an easy task to do what it is that you're doing. So what is the, the, the easiest state to work within and where thus far has the hardest state been? Because, and I'm going to ask this because Pennsylvania, well, uh, go ahead. 
Go ahead. I want to know this. The hardest and the easiest states that you're working in. Um, easy is like the hor- like a horrible word. I can't use easy. <laughs> um, but Pennsylvania has been very uh, forward thinking and innovative, which has made things a bit easier. Um, and then California is just like a mess. Like they're taking the OGs of cannabis and the people that have been doing this for decades and decades and decades that weren't paying taxes, that weren't following anything that was compliant or regulatory. And now they're like doing this huge mix up and they're having to put these people that were activists hiding money in their, like under their bed and in their mattresses and now trying to turn them into like these compliant tax paying business owners. And it is a nightmare. Um, We put a lot of online tools on our website for California because of the fact that it's like every city is different. And then once you get through the city program, you have to go through the state program and just the fees that we can charge there. We don't even break even like we end up behind. So we put a lot of templates on the website for California, just because the level of detail that needs to go into these applications and basically reworking people's brains that have been doing cannabis, you know, in a certain way for so long, it's really, really challenging. Wow. And you guys are working in 15 states right now. No, we've worked in 15 states. Like we've won licenses for clients in 13. That number should be 14 by the end of this quarter. And then we've worked in 15 states, but not right now. We're probably working in um, probably five states right now. Um, I just got my own license in Nevada. And so a lot of our firm's goals are going to be kind of wrapped around producing this state of the art facility with, you know, worldwide best practices for cannabis so that we can use it as a showpiece for our clients. Um, and so for the next like eight months, we'll probably take a pretty limited client load. Okay. So what is the average, what it, what does it cost to, to get it, to open a dispensary? What is the average cost of, I mean, and, and I mean, you know, I mean, I guess average is probably an odd word because, you know, I've, I've seen dispensaries that are 8,000 square feet and I've seen them that are 1,500 square feet. Yeah. So, I mean, it depends on the state, but you're looking at your barrier to entry and your risk money before you even understand if you got a license anywhere from a hundred thousand to up to we've had clients spend up to a million on the application process. Really? And then obviously once you're awarded the license, then you have at least another million to 20 million to build up the facility and open it and have enough operating capital um, and money to pay legal fees and consultants and things like that. Now, how is, I mean, how is the government involved in this when on a federal level, it is still an illegal practice? Um, there's a couple things. I know banking is everybody's favorite topic, so I won't touch on that because there's just enough out there in the media about banking. <laughs> um, but the part that like really ends up affecting the industry is you can't cross state lines. Right. So if I have a facility in Nevada, I can't drive it over to my Arizona facility. I can't cross state lines because once you're entering into crossing state lines, you're entering into federal territory. Right. Um, you know, I'm not, 
I'm like totally opposite. I'll probably get myself in trouble for saying this, but I'm not ready for the feds to step in. I'm not. I don't sure. think we're mature enough that we can trust that we know what the perfect model for this type of a business is. Right. And I definitely think we need a couple more years to figure that out. I mean, the industry, we, I call it dog years. So like for one year that you're in the cannabis industry, you're really in the cannabis industry, like seven years or whatever. And so we go really quickly. And so I don't think that we're super far away from finding some models that are really, really um, effective. But, you know, when the feds get involved, (laughs) typically some some things happen and I'm not ready for that. I'm really not. Um, I still very much am in love with the industry. I'm still very passionate about it. And I'm still very, um, committed to, to, to doing my research and taking kind of my worldwide knowledge to put together, you know, this formula that maybe everybody can continue to use. Um, my number one goal when I got into the industry is I wanted to go down in the history books. It wasn't, I wanted a Ferrari. It wasn't that I wanted <laughs> to go travel the world. It was, right. I wanted to go down in history for changing the U S as we know it. Um, and it really is cool because this year it was like kind of a point where I took a step back and said, I will, right. I will, <laughs> you know? And so my motivation has always been that to put together a really, really solid program for cannabis. And, you know, my, my vision for cannabis is that, you know, in five years from now, you're not going to be locking your cannabis in the safe on your desk. It's going to be in your household products. Right. Um, and it's going to be looked at as more of like a wellness experience than it is a, a vehicle to, to get high. Sure. No, absolutely. I mean, and, and mine is, is, you know, I mean, I, I, I use it for different things. I have different strains that I use for different things if I'm going out or if I'm just chilling out or working or whatever it is. And I'm not a smoke all day kind of guy. I mean, I'm a, I'm an end of the day guy. Like if I'm going to chill out or if I'm going to go out, I actually don't drink anymore. I quit drinking. Um, Did you get skinnier? uh, You know, I did. Oddly enough. I did. (laughs) That's what everybody else thinks too. Everybody's like, how do you stay so thin? And I'm like, I don't drink. I don't drink. Wine. Yeah. <laughs> I have no calories. I, I mean, if for me, it's, it's, I mean, it was, look, I, I'm a chef and I travel all over the world and I've done TV for years and, and my life is in and out of restaurants and bars and nightclubs. It's, it's a life that, that I've chosen and I love it. I enjoy doing it, but it got to a point that I was like, fuck, I'm, I'm exhausted 90% of the time because I'm up all night, I'm drinking and I quit yeah. drinking. I guess about, I guess about 13 weeks ago, 14 weeks ago. Oh, and, wow. uh, um, and, and I, you know, I mean, it, uh, don't get me wrong. I was in Vegas. I was out with my chef buddies and, and, and I drank St. Patrick's day. I drank. Um, but I don't, I, I'm, yeah, I'm just not really not interested anymore. It's just one of those things yeah. that I got sick and tired of waking up and feeling like shit, but I can yeah. smoke a super Jack at the end of the day and wake up the next morning and have absolutely no side effect, no feeling, no hangover, no headache, nothing. And I'm totally yes. cool. You and are speaking me, my language. Yeah. I, I just, so, so, so with that being said, what, uh, what do you see for, and, and this might be a wrong question to ask you because you're in the dispensary end of it. What do you see an impact on the restaurant industry on alcohol consumption based on this, on the legalization as oh, we move forward? Oh, that's super interesting. Yeah, I do. I do. I mean, look at the uh, decline in, in DUIs because of Uber. 
Now we're yep. starting to have it where it's in Pennsylvania, it's decriminalized. I can walk around with less than an ounce for 30 and I get charged, you know, it's a $35 fine and it's not a felony. If I'm caught smoking, it's a hundred dollar fine, but it's not a felony. It's a misdemeanor. So for me, yeah. what's the joke? We walk around with $135 in our pocket. You know, I mean, that's like <laughs> a big joke in Philadelphia. So, but, but what, I mean, I see a lot of people that just aren't, aren't, aren't drinking more. Yeah. Well, and I always wonder because I'm so inundated with it. Cause it's like my friends are in the industry. I'm in the industry. Like if I looked at somebody else's Facebook and there wasn't cannabis, like I don't know what my brain would do. <laughs> um, so for, for me, it's my reality. And so I feel like my perception is probably a bit different, but if you go, there's like a really high end neighborhood um, near where I live. And if you go to that specific neighborhood and if you talk to even just like the soccer moms or like your, you know, monster producer, commercial real estate guys that are building, you know, billion dollar um, parks um, for, for commercial, everybody's switching. <laughs> and it's because of the fact that you just said you don't feel like shit tomorrow. You're not going to gain weight. And it's this thing that makes you like at the end of the day, like if you have a backache or if you have something for a medical reason, you can do it and be socially acceptable. Um, but it's, it's, we're seeing so many people transition and I'm actually getting to work on this project in West Hollywood and it's for a consumption club. And so I've been putting numbers together and like trying to figure out how this is going to work because the model is so different than alcohol. So I don't know how the consumption clubs are going to work in a social setting, because if we all went, let's say you and me and, you know, your wife and whatever, my partner came and we all sat down, four of us at a consumption club, how much really are we going to spend? Yeah. You know, you're not spending $200 on a bottle of wine. You're spending, yeah. you know, maybe $20, $25 on a joint. On an awesome but, joint. Um, right. But that's why you see big pharma, alcohol and tobacco kind of either wanting to get their hands into this or Constellation did it. it. Constellation bought, yep. you know, I mean, Constellation who owns Corona, they made, they made the purchase already um, with, I think it was Aurora. Did they buy, I, I don't remember who it was, but I mean, I know they've done it. So, so is there a corporate involvement and, and we're, we're getting close to, to wrapping up here, but is there, I mean, are there corporate involvement? Is there corporate involvement right now in any of the farming or in any of this in the dispensary? And by corporate, I don't mean, you know, four guys who got together and have four or five dispensaries. I mean, are we about to see a Rite Aid style dispensary? Uh, I hope not. Yeah. Um, I, I think there is like what's happening right now. And this is actually really interesting. Um, what's happening right now is there was like one or two models before. And now we're seeing the industry open up for dispensaries, cultivation centers and producers to really differentiate themselves. So if you compare it to any other industry, like you're going to have um, your In-N-Out burger, but you're also going to have your, your, you know, state 44 or your city hall or Mastro's. Right? right. And so what we're seeing is things take form and corporate involvement is, is part of that. Right. But there's also a lot of patients or recreational users that aren't corporate people. They don't go to corporate things for anything else that they do. They shop sure. at more of like your Trader Joe's type type style corporate environment. Right. Um, so we would be silly to say that there's not corporate involvement because there is, and everyone's kind of trying to figure out how to get there in. Um, but more interestingly, we're seeing the, the industry grow up and diversify, which is like super, super exciting. Right. 
<laughs> my whole facility in Nevada is like basically doing medical products in a high-end fashion geared towards women. Like we never thought we were going to be able to say that. We were just thought we were going to be able to say that we were producing cannabis. Right. Cannabis products. And are you, and so, and I know that was one of the things I, I through a lot of research I did is that you're, you're very pro female when it comes to the business end of it, which I love. I have daughters. My girls are six. My girls are 14 and 17. And if, if, if the worlds of go get whatever you want, don't leave my mouth in the morning that I've done something wrong. Um, yeah. Because I mean, I'm a huge proponent for women. I love, I, I, not that there should be a separation in any way. And now I feel weird that I'm talking about it because now it seems like I'm no, backtracking. No, no, totally <laughs> but, but you get what I'm no. saying. It's, no, and it's 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 really like I don't even feed into like everybody thinks like oh there's feminist there's this there's that no I'm a right. woman and eighty five right. percent of my clients are men but what I find and what I like to create in the industry is something that I like and the high end fashion forward cool consumption type products is, is just not out there and yeah. so who would be a better person as somebody that's loves lifestyle, loves fashion, and obviously is a woman to create those types of products Um, instead of being like the rest of the guys, right? Um, I usually feel like it's like 20 guys in a room and they're all talking and then there's like me and I'm kind of like the unicorn in the, in the corner, (laughs) but that's, that's my life. (laughs) That's what I've created for myself. What, um, uh, so my, my, I guess my last question is out of all of the states that you, uh, that, that are, that are, are legal at this point, what is your favorite state in regards to a dispensary or the laws or whatever it is? Is that, is that, that's, does that make sense? Yeah. I know I have yeah. mine. Like um, I love Washington. I really enjoyed being in Washington. I felt that it was, there was something about that that was, that made it feel as if I was doing something more natural. I didn't feel uncomfortable. Like I walked into Colorado, no offense. I walked into a dispensary and I was a number. That's what I was. I was just a number. Yeah. I mean, even in Vegas, it was a little bit more of a number esque thing, but Washington was like, dude, come and talk to me, man. Let's have a conversation. That yeah, was the way. Chill out there. Um, Portland's super cool. Um, Portland's really, really cool because they have a lot of like craft cannabis with like some of the packaging has like local artists featured and like really, really innovative, cool project or products. But that's because that's what kind of a person I am. You know what I mean? I'm not like your corporate person. I like more like crafty type of boutique feel businesses. Um, so I would say that, that Portland's got a lot of cool stuff going. And then obviously Nevada, I mean, come on, I just got my license Look, there. <laughs> I know. I, and I'll tell you what, come I, on. I have, I mean, I was amazed. I mean, I, I, I was amazed. I mean, I really was. I loved the, the, the feel when I walked in and the comfort and I, there was just something that was super, super casual about it that I really enjoyed being in Vegas when, I mean, and again, so are yeah. you going to be in Vegas or are you, in, are you. Where's your, where's your spot? So our cultivation and processing is not in Vegas because it doesn't need to be. Okay. Um, we're going to be growing and processing out there and then obviously working with the dispensaries in the Vegas area to launch our products. And so okay. we've done enough kind of market research that we really understand what that plan looks like. And then one fun fact, and then I know you got to go, but in Nevada, when you travel to Vegas, if you have a patient card from any other state, you can use your patient card and purchase on the medical side of the facility, which is obviously going to be a better thing for affordability, 
it's, you know, it's like a 10% off. Product. And it's absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I found, I think I got 10% off when I was in there. And my card is from California because of Dr. Frank. I'll have you know. Oh, okay. I, which, which yeah. was. But a lot it, of people don't know that. And it's like, everybody needs to know that. 45 million people travel to Vegas a year. And so you can obviously experience a higher end product on the medical side with your medical card. Right. And then are you, so you're going to be creating a product. You're not, are you going to have a dispensary or are you creating a product? Uh, we are creating the the boutique line of cannabis flower and then a, a product line, which is going to include base oils, tinctures. And then in the next year, we anticipate having a dispensary as well. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, that's cool. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for hopping on with us. I really appreciate it. You know, Thank I, you. It was fun chatting. Podcasts are a little bit weird at times, but uh, uh, I I don't know. And, and a lot of people, when I when I go into podcasts, they always say, "Well, can we have a, have your line of questioning?" I'm like, Babe, "That's not going to happen until I find out who you are." Like once we get on the phone, that's when the conversations are start, are going to start to come through and have some fun. So uh, so why don't you do me one one favor again? Uh, do me just let everybody know who you are, how we can get in contact with you, and uh, and then when I'm out in Vegas, if you're out there, I'm going to look you up and we'll uh, we'll have some boutique weed. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Sarah Gullison, uh, marijuana cannabis uh, consultant, and you can find my personal website at saragullickson.com or my business website at dispensarypermits.com. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Sarah. I really appreciate it. I appreciate your time. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, there you go, everybody. So this was, uh, I, I, you know, when I started to do some research into this, to dive into this world, um, of finding out more and more about cannabis and finding out about the laws and the legal and, and what's going on with it. And some of the people that I've been in contact with, I mean, you guys know for the last couple of weeks, we went from Dr. Frank over to, or um, from David Denenberg from Kind Financial over to Dr. Frank um, at, uh, you know, his, you know, his medical rec cards that you can go and buy and what his feelings are behind it. And then having a conversation a couple of weeks ago with uh, Chef Peyton Curry, you know, we're learning a lot more about what's going on. And I really wanted to talk to Sarah because look, there's a lot of legalese that goes into this stuff. It's not like you're just walking into a shop and like a Rite Aid, like we were saying, and going in and buying stuff. I mean, there's a tremendous amount that goes into it. So I think that's pretty cool. And uh, congratulations to her and cheers to her for, for all that cool stuff that she's got going on. So um, look, another great one, another long one. I'm pretty happy about it. Uh, I want to thank everybody for coming out today and uh, do me a favor, go and check out Sarah Gullickson. Um, that is S-A-R-A. G-U-L-L-I-C-K-S-O-N. You can find her on her website at saragullickson.com. And then you can also head over, all over her website are links to dispensarypermits.com. Um, this is a very, very well put together website. Um, as I'm looking here, I mean, even on the right-hand side, there's a little page right here. It's telling me, don't know where to start. Here it is. Like it tells you right here. So if you're interested in that world or you want to get into the dispensary world or one of the cool parts about this site, actually, it tells me right here, work with application experts. It's something you can do. Do, your, do it yourself with confidence if you want. And then here's another world. There are plenty of investors. There's a whole investor page right here talking about plenty of investors seeking opportunities in the marijuana industry. Let us pair you with the right investor. Um, at this point right now in Pennsylvania, I'm going to talk about Pennsylvania because I live here. Um, there are 23 dispensaries. Uh, there are 13 cultivation areas. There's 13 manufacturing and processing licenses that are available, zero transportation. Um, so take a look at this and check out your state and see what's happening and see what you can do to move forward. So uh, that's our show for this week. I want to thank everybody for coming out. You guys know uh, you can find me at Chef Bride Duff on Instagram and Twitter. You can find me 
uh, on Facebook at Chef Brian Duffy. I answer a lot of questions on that backside of there. So please hurry up and get over there. Go there. Talk to me. Let me know what your thoughts are. If you want to follow the Duffified Live world, it's Duffified Live on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, Got to thank the three that do it the right way so that I can get this done. Radioinfluence.com with Jerry and uh, Jason. Just awesome with all the stuff that they put together for us, as well as their um, uh, ability to be flexible. I super appreciate that. Maggie Gagliardi, who does all of our gaster or our um, uh, graphic design, who does all the great stuff with our promo pieces and whatnot. And then Michelle out of Techno Solution designs my websites and keeps everything updated and everything looking fresh and clean and super cool. So thank you guys so much for that. Uh, this has been a great episode of Duffified Live. I'm really uh, kind of uh, uh, kind of happy and excited that we have the opportunity to talk to Sarah and get her on the show and play around. So thank you guys so much. Have an awesome week. We will talk to you next week. Didn't get Duffified enough? Follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef B-R-I-D-U-F-F. Look for the blue verified checkmark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show. This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence.